Hey everybody, it's Ken Navarro and I'm back with a brand new podcast episode. I'm sorry it's been a while since I've been doing one of these, but I've been very busy completing and now moving forward with my brand new release, Unbreakable Heart, which releases everywhere August 21st. Today, my very special guest is keyboardist James Lloyd, who is also one of the founders of Pieces of a Dream. James has been a friend for a long time, and he is one of the premier keyboardists in contemporary jazz, and we're going to be talking to him in just a second. Well, we're listening to one of the songs from Unbreakable Heart. This is called One Night in Mumbai. The album was finished around the beginning of June, and I got copies around the beginning of July, and even though it doesn't come out everywhere till August 21st, it's been available on my website exclusively, CDs, which I signed to you, as well as downloads exclusively there, and then everywhere it'll be available August 21st. So I shipped it to radio this week. Radio Airplay should begin sometime around August 1st. You can pre-order it at iTunes and get one of the songs immediately. Uh, that begins July 24th. But without further ado, let's welcome my special guest, James Lloyd. Morning, James. How you doing in Ohio today? Awesome. How you doing, Ken? I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm in Baltimore, and we're having a, actually a very nice day, especially for July. Uh, I always think of that Stevie Wonder album hotter than july when we when we hit this month because it can usually be like a hundred degrees and humid here but it, it's nice here well you know you're, you're from philadelphia so we had pretty similar weather to yeah that, to that city yeah philly's yeah, but, not that much from baltimore and and uh i, I used to live in Bmore for a little while as a matter of fact you did wow yeah, good for you yeah. <laughs> out near uh security Oh, yeah, sure. Oh, that's too much. I've been here 25 years. I moved here from, from Los Angeles, but I grew up in Washington, D.C., so I kind of knew, you know, the whole area, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I was very comfortable with, with well, maybe comfortable is too strong a word, but I, I didn't have a real problem with the weather. <laughs> yeah. So uh, and, and now you've been in, how long have you been in Youngstown now in Ohio? I've been here, oh, wow, almost 16 years. Yeah, so that's home now. Um, was was it? Is that where your wife was originally from, or is that what brought you there? Yes, yeah, so my my wife uh, works for a judge here, um, Judge Cheryl Waite at the Seventh District Court of Appeals. Oh, so wow, yeah. Uh, yeah, so when I met her, uh, I was like, well, you know what, you you stay, you keep your job. Do y'all have airports near there? And right, uh, fortunately, exactly. where I am now, I have a choice of three. I fly out of Cleveland, Pittsburgh. And uh, Akron, Canton. So it's. Uh, oh, that's right, because you're actually closer to Pittsburgh than people might think when they think Ohio. I, f I forgot. That's right, Youngstown. Yeah, yeah, I'm probably centrally located. Thing. Mm -hmm. yeah, it makes, yeah, it makes so much more sense for, for us to be wherever is convenient for our family. Because, uh, you know, these days, obviously, you know, since I moved here 25 years ago from LA, communication has changed so much. I mean, we didn't know what the internet was in 1990 when I, or was <laughs> right. going to be, you know, so between airlines and just the way people communicate it, it's, um, and I have some questions for you about that. I'm very, very curious, um, uh, to, to questions that have to do with how you work recording other musicians now and, and specifically with the new album. But let's let's start with that. I, I'm so glad to have you on the podcast, James, and thanks for doing it. But I'm excited because I have so many questions and so many things that I'm interested in um, to hear about uh, with with not only your your long career but this new record. Uh, so let, let's just jump right in. I mean, my my first 
thing I was been really interested in is with with the new album Here We Go. I know it's been out for a few months now, although I know the first single is still very active and there's a new one on the way. I, I know you've been doing quite a few solo shoes shows. <laughs> I don't think you've been playing any shoes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> quite a few solo shows. But I'm curious when you go into this kind of got a new album phase, which I know you've done countless times over the years, when you go into that phase, do you still continue to work on composing new music? Or do you take a break and just focus on what the new album needs to, to get out there and make, make people know about it? Um, well, actually, yeah, I do sort of kind of wind down as soon as I'm f- completed a project. Um, yeah, I have to take a little breather, but, uh, you know, then I had to get right back on the horse, you know, um, mm-hmm. working on a new uh, project for Pieces of a Dream uh, as we speak. And uh, Oh, you are? Wow. Yeah. That's, when, when, are, when is the, are you hoping for that one to be released? Um, possibly late this year or early next year. Right. Oh, that's and, soon. Uh, yeah, it'll be um, in time for, well, our 40th anniversary is October, oh, wow. uh, uh, October 19th of 2016. Wow. So, so yeah, that's an important record. Yeah, yeah. So uh, looking forward to that, and also working on some new stuff for uh, Nick Coleone and Steve Cole, and uh, and uh, BK Jackson, and so it's uh, it never stops over here. Right. I would imagine with with your you know not everybody knows you know that you have a very busy other part of your career writing and recording for and with other people and and that their their timeline has nothing to do with when you put out a solo record exactly you know so it just keeps going i know i find it difficult sometimes um to get back into writing after you know the long haul of 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 doing an album and and everything, I don't know how it is for you, but as an album ends completion for me, it's it's sort of like a funnel when it starts. Everything's possible, but by the end, you're down to the teeniest little details in the mastering. And, and you know, when, when it's finally over and you finally almost reluctantly let it go off to the manufacturer or to the record label, um, it's, it's sometimes hard to get back into the studio and, and start working again because you feel like you literally went to the wall banged your head against it a half a dozen times and finally said okay it's finished you know yeah i I kind of look at it uh making an album uh like giving birth you know Mm -hmm. it's like uh, (laughs) so you know as soon as you're when you're done that album finally you finally pushed it out you know you don't want to have sex right away you know (laughs) (laughs) exactly you want to give 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 me a minute let me let things calm down uh, over here right right let me digest what i just went through up what my body just went through and i don't know if you go through this as well but after i'm finished i really don't want to hear it for a while oh god yeah no definitely not (laughs) uh, yeah it's like you know it's last the last thing I want to hear is I heard the song yeah, it, over yeah, and over. People so. don't right. People don't understand. You've been hearing the album. <laughs> You've been hearing it more than they'll ever imagine hearing it, and not just countless times of of each song, but the details that are in there that you almost. I find I have to let it drift away a little bit so that I can hear it the way it really sounds. Because I'm listening to 
you know, the shaker in the bridge for five seconds that I that I'm I've debated, uh, you know, back and forth whether it needs to be a little louder or panned a little different. And yeah, I'm not even hearing it straight anymore. And I'm sure you're you're this the same way. I I know how detailed your recordings are, so yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you go yeah. through that same thing. And of course, there's always something that oh, I wish I had had done this, and I wish I hadn't had done that, and changed. And then you know, then the the people hear it, and they're like, "Man, it sounds great. What are you what are you what are you talking about?" I, I know exactly. <laughs> and sometimes the things that you the the one thing you'll zero in on, it will be the one thing that somebody else will say, "Oh my God, that's the best part of the album." Exactly. You know, so it, you just have to, you know, it doesn't mean that we're wrong with what we hear and what we think we could have done better, but. It gets to a point where it's very not only subjective, but it's really doubtful whether whether it matters all that much in the in the big picture. And I think when we're writing, I think that's when it really matters. The actual composing that that's when you either have it or you don't. And all that other stuff is great. It's all about why making records is fun. But, you know, it's it's well, that kind of leads me into another area I wanted to ask you about. Um you're composing, which I know you, not only you do it for yourself and obviously for Pieces of a Dream, but for so many other musicians, uh, and, and not necessarily just in the smooth jazz format, although that's obviously your specialty, but your your process, and I guess maybe you're even going through the beginnings of this process now with some of the new music you're working on. How, how does it start? I mean, do you <clears throat> do you go into the studio and use MIDI gear in some way to trigger things? Or do you just sit at a piano and and write the old-fashioned way? Tell me a little bit about, about how your process usually goes. Well, um, my process, it varies. You know, sometimes, uh, well, I have my, you know, studio right here at home, so it's, I'm always in it. Um, and um, sometimes a, an idea for a song will come from, a, a sound in a keyboard or, or a software synth that I'm just messing around mm-hmm. with. And, mm-hmm. you know, nothing inspires me like, like new gear or new sounds, uh, you know, sometimes just for even for the gear that I have or updates and whatnot. Um, so just going through sounds, a lot of times that'll spark something. Uh, sometimes I'll have an idea already. Um, sometimes it starts from a piano-based, uh, you know, uh, vibe or sometimes it'll start from a drum beat or even a bass line mm-hmm. um sometimes uh, i hear things in my sleep and then i wake up and try and uh, uh you know get them down before i forget uh one song that uh, i have on Naj- one of Najee's albums is called out of a dream and mm-hmm. i literally woke up at uh about 2 30 in the morning and went down to the studio and and just started laying something down and, and writing out chord changes so I wouldn't forget. And then went back to bed. <laughs> wow. And, that's uh, that's really that's really notable to me because I think we all experience that, but you know, dreams in general are so fleeting and, and you you've you had to do that in order to even have a chance of remembering it. But that's real discipline. Uh, as a composer, I think to 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 do that and grab it while you can, and then go back to bed. That's my favorite part. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then yeah. get up in the morning and you find out what you, you know. Uh, you have something waiting for you. That's great. That that was now, cool. You, you, yeah, you were talking about gear sometimes, especially new gear triggering things for you, and that that's definitely the case for me too. And I, I'm curious with the recording process. With, with here we go. How do you approach that? That combination of 
all the tools we have now, com- you know, and then bringing in uh, great players. Um, that works. Uh, you know, with me, I think the only rule is there are no rules. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I'll, you know, go ahead and lay down a guitar part. Um, uh, if I have something already in my head, an idea of what I think fits, and then I'll send that to um, what Randy Boland I, I like to use a lot on mm-hmm. uh, on guitar. He's uh, used to be with Pieces uh, way back in mm-hmm. the, in the right, early right. days. That's right, I remember him. Okay, and um, so he's got very good instincts. So sometimes I can just send him a song with no guitar at all and tell him, okay, go ahead and give him a, just a rough idea of what I want. You know, give me some chicken plucking and some wah-wah and some effects. And he'll send yeah, me back yeah. some guitar tracks and and then I'll just take my little scalpel out and I'll, you know, mute things. Uh, you know, I, I, I tell him to always give me more than I need. Exactly. And right, then I'll, right. you know, just use the subtractive method. <laughs> uh, right. I'll start oh, muting yeah. what doesn't is not absolutely necessary and certain things I'll fly around to other areas and sometimes there's even parts where you know there's actual guitar along with a uh, guitar that I've laid down uh, sometimes I wind up using both um, so there's you know there's all kinds of ways and then you know programming drums like this one song called uh, why town why not on my CD mm-hmm. that you know I, I had a ball you know trying to make it sound like there were actual cats playing, you know, playing the bass and, you know, and drums and, and, and guitar and create that kind of freedom, you know, in the track. Yeah, no, I'm familiar with that. And you did a really good job. You know, it's, you don't really think about it. I mean, that's, I think that's when you know you've done it right, when it's, it's not so much that it draws attention to itself. It's just sounds very natural and organic. And, and like there's interaction happening with the players that, that is happening, but it's happening all in your composer's mind instead of, you know, with the other players you know yeah uh, ha- making it happen in the moment but even i think even that you know you referred to it as a scalpel and i'm you know i'm very familiar with that um you know i i think that that is you know you as the arranger and composer you know continuing to work with those things so that the big picture is exactly how you heard it and and continue to hear it in in your own mind now what you were talking about you know playing the guitar do you actually play guitar some as well no, no, I don't. Referring to like a virtual instrument. Or yeah, yeah, just synth, playing yeah. A, a guitar, you know, synth sound. Or, you know. or that's what I thought, mm-hmm. but, but you know, I, I just wanted to clarify in case anybody wasn't wasn't sure about that. In, in, in terms of, of um, like with, a, with, with synth gear, I, I imagine there's, because you came up with it when this stuff was, you know, relatively in its infancy compared to what we've got now. But are you still using some things that you, you know, you were using 25, 30 years ago? Or how, do you feel like you've, you've, those things have all been moved aside for virtual instruments and, 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 you know, more, more powerful things? Yeah. You know, Ken, I'm, I've been always one of the kind of cats that, uh, and and sometimes I regret this. I haven't really held on to like all of the old stuff that that I've you know bought and, and used over the years. You know, sometimes I was like, man, I wish I still had this and all this old vintage gear. But you know, I've always been of like the mindset. Well, if it's sitting in my studio collecting MIDI dust, I'd rather trade it in for something. <laughs> that, I like that MIDI dust. <laughs> MIDI dust, <laughs> man. Good. I'd rather right. trade it in for something that I'm going to actually be using today. You know, so I wound up just kind of turning stuff over. Um, 
you know, the one thing I do still have is the my first uh, acoustic piano. It was upright uh, Cunningham that I, my mom got me when I was eight years old. Now, I do still have that. Yeah, that but, has so much meaning besides its musical value, it, you know. I know I have I have my first good guitar that I got when I was at for Christmas when I was ten. Wow! And, uh, you know I know it sits in the closet every once I I have it tuned up. What's called Nashville tuning, where you take the the bottom three strings and you string them up so they can be an octave higher, and you get some very almost impossible voicings for guitar. Um, there's a famous Rolling Stones song called Wild Horses where they used use that. And it was used on a ton of Nashville. So I have it like that. I pull it out and use it every once in a while. But I would never get rid of it. I would never think of putting that on eBay. You just can't, you know. Yeah, yeah. Certain things have special meaning like that. And So uh, what, what virtual instruments are you using now? Um, I use um, Omnisphere and uh, sometimes I'll use Trillion and... Um, I like the uh, the contact stuff as well. The uh, the complete ultimate. Um, uh, I love the uh, motif series. Uh, you use the uh, ES for forever, and and uh, now I have the uh, you know the new XF. Um, my Triton is one thing that I still uh, <laughs> I still use. Yeah. It's like you know I haven't uh, I haven't put that to bed yet. You know I know there's the the Chronos and and everything else, but you know because I, I, of the speed because of the speed of evolution with things now that doesn't seem that old, but it is now. You know that's that's almost a vintage piece the way things have been going. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that that gets you know a bit of love uh, in the studio, but um, that's great. Um, addictive keys, um, and uh, I use a lot of the sounds in in Logic as well. Yeah, uh, right. I know if something works, it, you know, it doesn't really matter where it came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I used uh, to use Pro Tools, and uh, um, then I switched to Logic, and and I've been really happy with that ever since. And uh, and I love the uh, the um, Slate Raven MTI. That's yeah, that's that's uh, that's really helped me in the studio and and as far as boosting my creativity and speed at which I'm able to work right right which which when you're doing as many different things as you are that becomes more than than a subtle difference yeah uh, yeah it know. really helps especially with my hands um not mm-hmm. having to mouse around as much you know so uh uh yeah I noticed that starting to become a problem and then I started getting into um you know controllers um I started with the uh the euphonics avid stuff and uh and then uh that sort of went kablooey then i tried the uh the um ssl the nucleus oh right i I used that that for a while um that you know that started giving me you know just headaches and you know Mm -hmm. yeah studio pains and um so then i tried the uh the raven and i've been loving that ever since Oh, that's great! I know it's so important. You know, I, I'm I'm about ten years older than you. You just turned fifty this year, right? Uh, yeah, I'll be fifty-one. Um, this next month, wow. as a matter of fact, yeah, oh my August thirtieth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because I notice things now. I mean, I feel very healthy, and I don't think too much about it. But I notice stuff now, absolutely. That you know, particularly in the studio or just in the office, constantly working one mouse or you know one controller or another that. It's easy. It's much easier for me to hurt myself. It seems like, uh, and as a as a keyboardist, 
I don't know. Some people assume that having that skill naturally lends itself to being very, having no issues with using the mouse and so on. But I wouldn't think so. I would think you'd be, you'd be all the more sensitive to it and aware of, of any kind of strain that you were, you were creating on, on the muscles, not only, you know, in your hand, but also up, up your forearm. Have you ever gotten anything like tennis elbow or any problem like that? Yeah, I've had, you know, it's like a little, you know, problem with elbows. And then, well, of course, my, my left wrist was, was broken um, when I was uh, 19. I broke that. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, me playing with pieces and Grover with one hand, but... Uh, no, yeah. I'll have to look that up on oh, YouTube. Wow. Oh, yeah, I broke um, I broke it three days before a pieces Grover <sighs> tour. Oh, and, of man. course, you know, we were part of his rhythm section as well. I was like his main keyboardist. Right, right, right. And, um, you know, I, it was after rehearsal on a Tuesday night, and the tour was supposed to start Friday. Um, Wednesday, I showed up, you know, a little late with a cast on. And they, the guys thought it was a joke. And I, I was like, right. no, no, uh, this is a, it's a real cast. They're like, where's the zipper? I'm like, no, this is. And here's my friend, Kurt Dowd, and he's going to be my left hand. Oh, uh, my so, God. So for the next That's two great. days, I'm going to show him what my left hand would do. Right. And, uh, and then at we'll do that at grill rehearsal during the day. And then at night, we'll come back to I'll bring him back to my house and show him what my left hand, what he would need to do for wow. to play with wow. pieces. And uh, Grover, being as gracious and cool as he was, he uh, he let you know let me go with it. You know, give it a, ch- wow. a shot. And well, he knew you were going to take care of. I mean, obviously, you you were going to have it covered one way or the other. That which, but yeah, that is cool of him because some people just can't get out. That's way out of their comfort zone. Yeah, you know? I mean, and you have to also um, appreciate the fact that here's another guy that they have to pay. Um, and, uh, you know, another set of flights, another set of hotel, uh, you know, so he was gracious enough to, to take care of all of that. And, and, uh, yeah, I did the whole three month tour with one hand, <laughs> man. Oh, I got to check that out. That's great. Oh, I, I did. I had no idea that that had happened at that particular juncture. Mm-hmm. So I still have problems, you know, with it, uh, every now and again. And, um, and uh, so, you know, I've gone to therapy and, and whatnot. And, and uh, you know, at one point, a doctor advised me to stop shaking hands. And um, so I was like, okay. So ever since then, uh, you know, I don't really, don't really shake. And I know some people, they want to just grab you. And uh, they get offended if you don't, give me your hand. They want to go, go grab it for you. Yeah, like, well, stop. those sometimes, those are the same people who are going to squeeze it in such a way. Yeah. I can't believe that. I know that that happens to it's me like, sometimes too, I, where I go, what have I gotten myself into? It's like a vice grip. I you know. know. Like, so. you know, you're a musician too. You're like, we, we need these to feed ourselves and the family. Like, come on. Yeah. You know? And, and, and I really have noticed, I'm sorry to say, cause I don't like to age myself, especially cause until I look in the mirror, I think I'm 20, you know, but, but I do find that it's much easier to, to hurt myself now doing just typical things that, that didn't, I, you know, I, I can hurt something and not think about it because I figure it'll just go away like it always has. And then a week later, I'm still having pain there. So when it has to do with our hands, which, you know, as I'm sure you know, our hands supposedly contain like over a third of the muscles and nerves um, that are, are in our whole bodies. So they're very complicated and musicians... 
probably are more aware of the detail that's possible with 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 your hand than most people are. So we notice early on if something isn't quite right, uh, pro- probably before most people do, because they don't notice unless unless they can't write with a pencil or they can't grip something. We're noticing because we can't do something very quick between our index finger and our ring finger that we've always done. <laughs> so yeah. you know, it's it's a it's a a, a very different process for a musician aging and making sure that they keep their hands in good shape in a weird way not that it was in any way a blessing for that to happen to you but if there was a silver lining it was that early on you know you learned the importance of taking care of that and uh and you started to see somebody early on um who who told you things like don't shake hands it's that's a way to get in trouble yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I think they're, I think they're gonna last me for a while. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, using them is the best is the best medicine, I think. It, That's right. Keeping them going. So, with 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 pieces, um, with the new album getting going, I know you guys are doing some some uh, have been doing tour dates this year as well as your own solo uh, shows. Who who are you using in the band with uh, with your solo shows to, to support? Here we go. Oh, okay. I have, um, well, I've been using, uh, Nate Mitchell who, well, some, sometimes he's not available, um, you know, cause he plays with Nick Colleone and, and a bunch of other people. And, um, uh, and also, um, a guitarist by the name of Justino Lee Walker from uh, the Tampa area and, um, uh, Zach McKay, Zachary McKay, uh, keyboardist from, uh, Tampa as well, and a drummer. Um, her name is Monica Ms. Drummer Carter from mm-hmm. Atlanta. Cool, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Alvin Spratley on bass. Ah, oh, that's good. Now, are all these players people you've you've known throughout the years and brought together for for the these these solo shows, or or how <laughs> how did you meet them all? They seem oh, you're very gonna, disparate. You're gonna laugh. Um, okay, so Nate, I've known you know f- throughout the years, um, and uh, you know we've r- bumped into each other here and there on on mm-hmm. different gigs. Um, the rest of them I had never met before. Uh, <laughs> Nate recommended uh, Zachary McKay and uh, Justin uh, on guitar. Um, Cassie played with, and also Alvin Spratley. Right. Um, so I'd never, why, which is why they're all from the you know the floor from Florida and the Tampa area. Well, no, Alvin is from oh, no. uh, Richmond, actually. Oh, he, you're kidding? Yeah. Wow. And um, now uh, Monica, Ms. Drummer. Uh, I found her on YouTube. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Very cool. And yeah. and buzzed her up and uh yeah, we talked and, and and hit it off and I asked her if she wanted to do this this gig. My first gig happened to be the Capital Jazz Festival. <laughs> a nice way to start. That's great. I, I know. I was so honored and blessed. I'm like that that's mm-hmm. that's a heck of a way to kick it off, you know. Yeah, um, definitely. Actually there there were I had a few offers to do some things like right prior to that but i didn't didn't want to take them because you know I, this would have been more meaningful you know having mm-hmm. played the capital jazz and and the cruise you know with with pieces you know it's kind of like a second right. home anyway and and i wanted to you know start my solo thing there so the i had just met the other members of the band the day before our um 
our performance. We performed on Sunday, and uh, I f you know, flew them in, and we rehearsed on Saturday. <laughs> and that's when I met Man, them. Man, <laughs> you, you, you guys could have used my house. <laughs> I live about 10 minutes from there. Oh, wow. How cool. You're like right there. You can like hear <laughs> well, the concert. Time, from... I'm serious. Next time, let me know because, you know, we, we have this wonderful practice area right in the house. Oh. I could have been, been a fly on the wall. Anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. So, no, so you got I them may in take and, you up on that one day. Yeah. But, uh, and the day before, you guys not only are uh, obviously they'd really done their homework. Yes. Uh, but, but yeah, I even had like one Skype uh, rehearsal with uh, with Nate. And um, so that was kind of cool, you know, using technology, you know, to your advantage. And, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, all of the members, they were really professional. I mean, they really mm -hmm. came prepared. And I'm sure you've been on both sides of the coin. I where, have. Where I some sure someone have. has to like learn your music. You're not using your regular cats or whatever. And right. and um and some are more prepared than others. It's like, okay. And to me, I tell you, that's the worst thing. I, it's, it's like a pet peeve of mine. I know, you know, things are things and whatnot. But if you knew you were doing the gig, then there's no excuse, you know, to, to be prepared and, and to know the things as, as best as you can. You should not be learning anything at rehearsal. I know. I, I never understand when somebody doesn't just have it nailed only because... You know, when I moved out to L.A., I did so many gigs for whatever money it paid just to just to be heard and play with people. I'd go in there with a whole band. I didn't know I'm going to play with them again or not. I'd have the whole show memorized. You know, I mean, I just I just never understand why somebody wouldn't want to show their absolute best, especially here's somebody uh, gets a chance to to play with James Lloyd and play the Capitol Jazz Fest. Man, I mean, what are you waiting for? You know, when will you be super prepared if you're not prepared for that? Yeah, it makes a difference in getting called back or not. You know, oh, absolutely. And, and, and being a musician, yeah. that's that's your livelihood. So why would that's anybody right. not, right. you know, uh, try and put their best foot for you? Don't get a second chance at a first impression. No. And you know? as I'm sure you've had the experience as I have, the, the really great players never let that happen. They always, <laughs> I mean, they may make it look like they didn't do a lot of work, but <laughs> it's always there, you know. And so that it it's uh, the people who are really strong. Uh, you know, that's part of why they're always getting called back is they're not only play great, but they're also completely on top of whatever the situation they're in is. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's a pet peeve for me, too. It's 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 tough because it's harder and harder to have a set band all the time. Very hard. Um, you know, when I started doing the the touring behind Smooth Jazz uh, albums of mine in the early 90s I always had the same band and that's just almost impossible now you're lucky if you have one person that you can count on you know yeah yeah to tell it's you how the prepared they were um I had scheduled a rehearsal for five hours and we rehearsed for three wow and that that was it yeah. you know I told yeah. him like hey when when I'm happy then rehearsal is over we're, I'm not gonna done. just yeah not gonna milk it you know it's like hey, when 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 y'all got it then we're done and we only needed three hours, so. And. Well, obviously, your instincts—you know—talking to these folks were were good. You knew that they were, they were, they were the, not only great players but great people. Yes. And uh, you know, so you, and you were right. That's always a nice feeling too. You know, when you can trust the, that feeling. Mm-hmm. And they all have a real good vibe too, which I'm sure you realize is equally as important as the musicianship. You know. Oh yeah. 
uh, the, you know, the wrong attitude will also, you know, I mean, I'd rather use some a lesser player with a great attitude than, you know, a, a monster player who's just, you know, not fun to be around, shall we say. <laughs> <laughs> right. I know. There were, it, it, and it can get the more competitive the, the environment, the, the more that can become important. I, I remember um, this is back in the uh, 80s when I was living in, in L.A. I remember Melissa Manchester had a bunch of hit records then, and I knew most of the people that were in her touring band. And they brought in a new keyboardist and and who was really good. Uh, they said, nah, he's not working out. And I said, really? I can't believe it. He, he, he just seems perfect for it. And he said, yeah, he doesn't have any good jokes. <laughs> and they were wow. almost straight-faced about it, you know, and, and meaning <laughs> we just, he, we don't like to hang with him. Uh, you know, so if it's if, if all things equal and you, there's six other people around, you know, five miles away who can, who can do a great job on the gig, people are looking for how they feel being around that person. You know, what's it like to the other 23 hours of the day when you're not on stage? What's it like being with them on the road? Right. Yeah. You spend more time with them off stage than you do on stage. Right. 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 And so that matters. And, and as you were referring to, I think the way it feels on stage and the, the vibe you have with that person, it changes how the music is made. The, the nature of this music is it's all about listening and interacting. It's like a, a good conversation, you know, so um, I, I, that factors in, too. Yes, it does. It does. You know, you can feel the vibe on the, you know, on stage. And if you if you're not vibing with each other, you know, on stage, and how can you make anyone else feel what you're doing? You know, the the audience. So. So we were talking earlier about turning 50. And I remember what a landmark that was in my life, although turning 60 was even <laughs> was a little harder for some reason. But having turned 50 and having lived almost a whole year at that age, how would you say that's affected what you're doing and what you want to do? Is that part of what spurred the feeling that it's time to do a solo album? Well, yeah, my age definitely had uh, something to do with um, me actually, you know, getting down to doing this and and making it happen um like now but the main thing was um i was um doing a gig we were uh, pieces gig uh we were slated to be in seattle and i was flying from denver to seattle Mm -hmm. and uh, i was on the plane and you know i see his lightning and you know i remember i'm sitting by the you know the window seat and i'm talking to the people in the row and i was like Man, that looked close. And, uh, (laughs) you know, so, uh, you know, I thought I felt the plane jump a little and it's like, okay, well, never mind. And so we we continued talking and then I hear, ladies and gentlemen, this is the captain speaking. Um, We've taken on a lightning strike. Uh, All of the instruments are going off and I really don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going on. He says, I really don't know what's happening. Yeah. He said all of the instruments are going off and crazy and I really don't know what's happening. We're going to have to land right now. Mm. So we uh, we didn't get very far from Denver. We landed in Fort Collins, Colorado. And uh, when it landed, we bounced like three times, you know, like slammed down really hard. And then another time, and you know, I'm assuming that, you know, his landing uh, apparatus or, or camera um, or sensor, you know, to let him know what distance 
he was from the ground probably inoperable as well. Exactly. I was just feeling he probably just had to eyeball it, you know. Right. He's and, using his basic skills as a pilot. Yeah, yeah. So that was, uh, you know, no one got hurt, uh, obviously. Well, actually, but um, um, it was, you know, it shook shook us all up, you know. Oh yeah. And yeah. you uh, realize how quick it can it can turn. Yes, yes. I mean, you know, flying is a big part of of uh, my life, and you know, mm-hmm. and all all of our lives as musicians and traveling and. Um, so, you know, I made it to Seattle safely. Of course, my wife was freaking out, you know, when she heard about it, and, yeah, but she didn't yeah. let, let on until I got all the way back home after the gig, you know, how, uh, uh distraught she was. Yeah, and she didn't want to worry me further. Home. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, it turned out, you know, everything was, was okay. And I made it back safely, you know, thank God. But, uh, um, you know, between that and turning 50, I was like, you know what? Um, every day, the next day isn't promised to you. I'll, I say uh, the rest of this sentence isn't even promised to you. Right, right. And that's right. Um, so I just called, uh, you know, Danny Wise at, at Shanaki, who, you know, pieces is assigned to, and basically like, hey, can I have a record deal? <laughs> uh, I'd like to make a solo record. And, they, and he's like, um, yeah. <laughs> if anybody could do, you know, could make a solo, you know, record out of, then you could. I was like, oh, yeah, thank you. I appreciate yeah, they're that. lucky. They're lucky to have it, and and I think that that it's amazing in a way that that it's never happened before now. Although, obviously, pieces is is been so much of your baby, and for so long, I mean, it's it's you've probably felt. You had room for the ex- all the expression, or maybe not, because obviously you wanted to do this. But it it seems like you obviously had a pretty wide open field for for expressing your ideas. Um, but w- w- yeah, and that kind of brings me to what I'm really driving at. Is I'm wondering, you know, assuming that I'm right about that that statement with pieces that you had a lot of 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 uh, control and 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 ability to do what you were hearing what was it about making the the solo record that actually felt even more freeing or that you you did differently than you would have done with pieces well you know the main thing was this just just a whole lot of music floating around in in my head you know what i mean and and um so at a point i had found a vehicle through other artists to release that, you know, so, you know, that's how I wound up like, you know, writing and producing for Najee and Walter Beasley and Nesta Torres and, and Hiroshima and uh, Jeff Koshua and, and Gail Johnson and Wayman Tisdale and, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and then you'd and, put their hat on, so to speak, when you'd write and, and arrange for them, I'm sure. You're being yourself, but you're you're imagining it through not only their instrument, but but their voice. Yes, you, I guess you could tell that. Yeah, I, when I am going to work with somebody, I, I do all I can to absorb their vibe and sort of, you know, fuse what it is that they already do um, with what I'm going to bring to the table. Right, and right. As opposed to just being, you know, a heavy-handed writer, producer. It's like, okay, this is my sound. I'm going to put a song on your album. Yeah, you know, that's... Well, to me, that's just not my style. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I think that that's the right style, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, and then I guess after, after uh, you know, turning 50 and then the lightning strike, you know, like, you know what? A, a lot of people have come up to me over the years, hey, why don't you put out a soul album? Why don't you put out a soul album? And, you know, and I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do it. 
hopefully somebody will buy it and dig it and and I just put you know my all into it and um uh, some of the material had been sitting around like a, a tune granted wish was like uh, this song in my ideas category on my iPod you know that was never finished it was something some idea just playing around on a keyboard and then I, I fell asleep while I was recording it and <laughs> you could you could hear when I fell asleep and <laughs> I'm still playing and <laughs> and uh, you know the, my wife would say hey why don't you do something with that I love that yeah, little idea yeah yeah and, yeah and and you know I was oh, okay yeah yeah and the next then you know, years will go by next thing you know 12 years later um i you know when i decided to put out my solo cd i told her i was going to put this song on there i'm going to actually finish mm-hmm. it because it wasn't even mm-hmm. a, a song it was just you know a couple of changes and uh, i turned it into a full-fledged song and uh, that's why i called it granted wish Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that's a great story, and and I think that sometimes those pieces that we you know we actually allow to just kind of be there, and you come back to them, you you really know what it is that's right about it and what isn't working about it, and and of course the growth that's probably happened from the time that you first came up with the the germ of it, the idea to twelve years later, all that growth gets applied to to it too. Yeah, yeah, that's you know, it's 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 funny to, you know, change the sounds and then like, as you said, there's, there's growth just as a musician. Uh, there's another song that that kind of had that same path. Um, uh, tune is Night Vision that was you know pretty popular for Pieces of a Dream. That's something that that I'd written, uh, just on a on a keyboard, some little uh, Kawaii keyboard that I had it had a little mm-hmm. sequencer in it when I was uh, living in North Hollywood. And um, and then I had it on cassette, you know, and then years later, I think it was about seven or nine years later, um, my, my kids had heard it. And at the time they were like 12 and 13. And I was just going through seeing what's on these cassettes, and they started dancing to it like, oh, like, oh, well, that's nice. Like, <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm figuring, well, if somebody at this age group, this demographic is right. digging it, right. then maybe I need to dust this puppy off and, and redo it, you know, with some new sounds. And, and so that's what I did and submitted it for a piece of record. And, and that turned out to be, you know, one of our more popular songs. We still play in concert uh, often today. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and again, something that could have almost gotten lost. You know what I mean? It just could have just sort of been passed over somehow because in, 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 with all the other things going on, if that moment hadn't happened with, with your two kids. Uh, yeah. and, and now it's something that lots and lots of people not only know but, in, but love, and, and it's a staple. It's amazing, you know, how easy that, that could not hap- have happened. Yeah. How, how, how old are your two kids now? Uh, 29 and 30. Wow! Yeah, my my oldest is twenty nine. Oh, that's great! Uh, yeah, wow! And and, and that's got to be part of what you know. You 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 like me had had a lot going on up up right while you're raising two kids, and then I take it at this point while they're do either of them live anywhere near you? No, they're all grown and gone now. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a whole nother. That's what I'm getting at. It's a whole nother mm-hmm. thing because mm-hmm. I, I nowadays I, I go, how did we ever do everything we did when they were living in the house? I, <laughs> I don't know how we did it all. Um, but so that changes things too in terms of giving you the ability to to have a little more space and do the things it takes to make a solo record, which is kind of all encompassing. I think. 
It is, it is. And, you know, my my wife as well, as I referred to her, my my wifeager, um uh she's she's awesome at um well letting me be me and she understands all my quirkiness and craziness and then you know she she gets me so it's like i, I found my true soulmate you know and uh i'm, I'm very blessed to, to have that it's like oh it makes all the difference in the world yeah it, it, i know. i told her she should do a book on not how to marry a musician, but how to stay married to a musician. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so, I mean it's it's it it it, it it's a little. I have known my wife since we were 13 years old, so she kind of wow. knew what she was getting into from from the that beginning. That is awesome. That's so amazing. It, it is to me too. I mean, when I think we were only we were very very young when we got married, and and I don't mean this at all in a bad way because I think we had we just sort of knew what was what that it was going to be fine but think of how kind of stupid you are when you're 19 years old (laughs) and and i so i'm just kind of amazed you know that it's worked out the way it has because you know we just must we just both had some strong sense that it was right you know wow but uh so so where did where do both both of your kids live now how 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 far away from you are they um cincy and columbus Mm -hmm. Oh, that's not bad. So no, not too they're, far. They're relatively mm-hmm. close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, um, it, it's nice having them w- within within driving range, mm-hmm. <laughs> and nice for them too. I'm I'm sure. Well, let let's go way back, and I want to talk about or have you talk about some of your earliest memories of music as a child. Something tells me you started playing very, very early. Am, am I right about that? Yeah, I started piano when I was six years old, started classical lessons, and it was really just because, uh, you know, I couldn't stand to see my brother do anything I wasn't doing. You know, <laughs> My mother had started him with piano lessons and on yeah. Saturdays, and I'm like, well, I want to go too. I'm like, right. okay, so... Uh, uh, so then, um, you know, I started taking piano lessons, and by the time he was finished the first book, I was finished the third book. And I guess, you know, my mom realized mm-hmm. that uh, there might something be something was going here. on here. Yeah, and then I started, you know, got into playing um, uh, things that I would hear on records and on the radio. And so I didn't realize that that was a big thing, you know, but I, hey, you could play by ear. Like, really? No, I'm playing with my hands. You know, what are you talking about? You know, and... Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I would play, uh, you know, all kinds of things. I, I loved uh, um, uh, James Brown, uh, Captain and Tennille. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Boy, I was I, I like was all over contrast. the place, man. Otis Redding, yeah. <laughs> but of you course, know. that's what makes your stew so interesting. You know what I mean? You, you're putting all these different things in it, and and comes out you. Um, oh, that's great! I love it. Yeah. So, uh, so you were at the age of nine and ten. You're like listening to records, listening to radio, and you're just grabbing stuff out of the air, mm-hmm. uh, whatever whatever appeals to you. Yeah, TV shows like all TV themes. That was big right. thing for me. You know, right? Um, you know the, the the Pink Panther and and uh, you know Good Times and the Jeffersons and All oh, in the yeah. Family and Hill Street and were, Blues. Yeah, and, those things were really about those theme songs. I mean, obviously Hill Street Blues, they had a hit song out of the theme song, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with Larry Carlton playing guitar on it. I remember that was kind of a big deal, late 70s. But, I mean, all those shows you just mentioned, Jefferson's Good Time, I mean, th- those mm-hmm. theme Taxi, songs were, yeah. were, were pretty critical. Yeah, Taxi, right. Our our mutual friend Alexander, if I'm not, Zonchik, if I'm not mistaken, played flute on Taxi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, uh, right. With with the Bob James, but um, 
so, so, and while that's happening, are you still like at the age of nine and ten? Are you still taking formal piano lessons too? Um, yes, you know. I'm, and then I got into jazz when um, I was eleven. Um, that's when I went out for for band. I was in sixth grade, and um, you know, went out for band, and I had no idea that it was a a seventeen piece jazz band. And then the instructor was like teaching us, you know, blueses and jazz songs, and teaching us how right. to improvise and and right. you know. And uh, that's when uh, Pieces of a Dream uh, really formed out of that mm-hmm. to uh, um, mm-hmm. form a band for a talent show uh, at at the school. And um, we took third place, <laughs> wow. believe it or not. Yeah. 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 yeah, we didn't even take third, first. But uh, yeah, you know, but then and it must have been, it almost must have 40 been a, years a later, good... Curtis and I are still playing together. I right? was going to say, that's, so that's when you first met Curtis? Yes. At that age? Wow. Mm-hmm. Man, that that's amazing. There are very, very few musical relationships that last from that early of an age. I mean, people just move in such di- different directions. Yeah, uh, that, that's remarkable. And that must have been a school with a lot of talent in it. If you guys came in third place, I don't care how young you were. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, there was a lady that sang, a young lady that sang. Um, God bless the child, and then there was this uh, dancer that did this one little move, just kind of spinning in circles. <laughs> I got everybody. Like, okay, yeah. yeah. So, so, like, so okay. take t- taking formally like that. What What's interesting to me is that even though once you started to really blossom on your own and and you know have the freedom of grabbing things out of air and you know, teaching yourself virtually. You continued to study formally, which I think is great, but it's unusual because I know for myself, I I started very early on piano, and, and but the minute that I discovered the guitar and along with the guitar, the ability to, to, to learn whatever I was hearing on the radio at that time, which was a cross of, you know, English rock and, and Motown soul growing up in DC, I got a pretty even dosage of both. Uh, and the minute that started to happen, my interest in studying, you know, piano and classical pieces, it just, it, it didn't disappear, but it waned quite a bit. Was it like that for you too? Or did, was that sort of a thing going on, a parallel road that you, that you were also interested in even at that age? Yeah, I, I think I stopped uh, like formal, like traditional piano lessons at, uh, at around 10 and, um, and then, uh, you know, once I got into jazz, uh, that was, I was hooked. And, you know, I had my first jazz piano teacher, uh, the late Gerald Price Jr. And, uh, and, um, are you familiar and that was with in Philadelphia. I'm in Philadelphia, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know his name from, I, I, I must know somebody else who uh, studied with him. I know his name as a teacher there who was really highly thought of. Yeah, actually, he was also Joey DeFrancesco's uh a oh, piano teacher. maybe that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and uh, it's funny. It's like we've known him since, you know, Joey, since he was like uh, 12. And uh, uh, we were at Pieces actually working on uh, producing a demo for him. And, uh, and you know, it was kind of like some some maybe funk type, fusion type of things that we were uh, had put together for him and uh, you know took him into the studio and and he was just he was blazing then i mean you know mm-hmm. it's just awesome yeah, yeah. but there was something about um i guess the music that we could tell wasn't fitting him 
you know? And uh, I guess years later, I found out why that was. He turned, you know, uh, into this, you know, jazz organ monster. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't, you know, the funk and fusion that was for him, you dig? So right, it, right. Was, it wasn't was his, I know. Yeah, I know. he was I just, destined for another path. So, right, uh, right, right, exactly, yeah. And but, you, yeah. you sometimes hear recordings like that that, you know, um, where everything's in place, but something, it's not, it's missing that special thing that the a player totally has to be totally committed to it, heart and soul, to make it work. Whatever it is. Like a comedian trying to tell a joke they don't totally think is funny. You know? Yeah. It's hard to get the audience to laugh if you don't think it's cr- incredible. You know? Exactly. So, exactly. It, but, uh, but yeah, to have those experiences at such a young age. And, and all of them in, in Philadelphia, right? Yes, all in Philadelphia. And then, you know, when I was 14, uh, we were the house band for uh, a show called City Lights in Philly and um, it was like a you know uh, talk show musical uh, and at 14 at you guys are 14 and you're yeah I was 14 and the the other two were 16 they were Mm -hmm. two years older than I and um, uh, I was in like sixth grade and they were in eighth grade and then seventh and ninth and uh, (laughs) I know right so we're like well when you say it like that especially sixth grade seventh grade eighth grade I mean it's just it blows my mind I know so we were that you know and we would play in and out of commercials and a lot of time every week they would have a different musical guest and most of the time we would back them sometimes every now and then they would use a track but you know we got to back uh dave valentine uh clark terry uh Iceman jerry butler and grover was on one of those weeks so we oh, backed grover doing two tunes mm-hmm. and it was like whoa mm-hmm. my gosh this is awesome you know so sometimes shortly after that um i guess when i'm 15 uh, we were opening for, I believe it was Betty Carter at the Bijou. Wow, sure. And, um, Got Betty Carter. What a singer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, one of my faves. And um, so we were opening for her at the Bijou, and Grover was in the audience. So we asked if he would come up and sit in with us, you know. And so he he did, and he came up and did Mr. Magic. So here we are playing <laughs> Mr. Magic with Grover on the Bijou stage, you know, wow. where he did the live at the Bijou. I'm like, yeah, oh, my yeah, gosh. yeah. You, you talk about a moment, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. So it was shortly after that that uh, he invited us all out to dinner and our parents and, uh, you know, it was him and his wife, his lawyer and his wife, his manager and his wife. And, uh, you know, it's a real fancy place and uh, announced that he was starting a production company and we were his first act to be produced. We're like, oh, that's great. Thank you. Uh what does that mean? <laughs> you know, um, is it, basically that means you have a record deal. You're gonna make a record. Right, like, oh right. Oh my god, that must, we're freaking that must out. have been like, one of the, one of those moments where you and your parents were both equally not sure what it meant. You know, yeah, even though yeah. you, you may have known more than they did, actually. But, but right, yeah, it's it. Wow, he had such vision. I mean, part of that obviously is him just seeing something and seeing the future but it also says a lot about him as a as a man i think that he would would you know say this is something that this is a win-win situation yeah you know? yeah something he's going to invest his time and money and effort yeah because it's more it's yeah. more than just 
the money. It's 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 really believing in in something and somebody else. And you know, as musicians, every people can be very very. Some musicians can be very jealous of anybody else's success. You know, oh, but for yes. him to do that, it really shows where he was coming from. I think. Yes, it takes a you know a, a great amount of strength and security in what you do right. to to you exactly. know do that. Exactly. So then we're like, okay, now we'll uh, you know after the initial freak out. Uh, we realize, well, I guess we gotta like write some songs. About, what do we know about writing? You know, I'm 15 right. years well, so old. So you guys, you've never really <laughs> you know? written. It wasn't like you had all this stuff. You've you've been playing like crazy and backing up all kinds of people t- twice, yeah. three times, maybe even four times your age. It's, uh, but but yeah, as far you were so young, you hadn't built up like a catalog of stuff for a no, first album. We didn't have any. No, no, no catalog, no, not one song. So we had an eight-track reel-to-reel in our little rehearsal space, uh, right. which was in my piano teacher's basement, Gerald Price's basement, <laughs> <laughs> and that was wow. our studio. So we went there and uh, you know started laying some ideas down and and took them to Grover and he mm-hmm. uh, took those ideas and turned them into like full-fledged record-worthy songs, yeah. and a lot of those things went on the album and um, and then he added some things and uh, you know. Uh, recruited Dexter Wanzel and Cynthia Biggs, who wrote uh, "Warm Weather," mm-hmm. our first single, right. and 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 I was sixteen. I was a senior in high school when it uh, came out. <laughs> oh man! Yeah. Oh my God! What so. a unique experience! And and through all of that, did you ha, did did you ever battle trying to stay humble and just kind of uh, did did it seem like this shot of this is what's supposed to happen, or did it feel like? at that age I, I'm not quite sure how you take all that in um you know I guess we had you know good guidance um you know uh, but, but you know I was never you know uh, very unhumble type of person right. and, and then right. being around Grover and seeing how he was and how awesome you know how big of a star he was but he was he's so humble you know I learned from that you know and I took that as a cue and I and then, you know, next thing you know, we're on the road with him, you know, uh, right, growing right. up on the road with him, touring and all over the world. So, you know, that's... What a, what a, what a way to learn about that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's that, that, where that's I learned, a, you know, musicality and humility and, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. how to let music breathe and don't play like you're getting paid by the note and, you know, and don't rely on this, you know, what you know all the time. Don't play the same thing the same way all the time. Uh, you know things like that. They they're deeply embedded in me. You know these conversations and statements. Then, and now I pass them on to others. Well, when you play with somebody night after night, you really find out what they do. You know, and what they're really capable of. And you were playing with them at the height of his career. I think the height of his popularity for sure. Yes. And uh, and and I think the height of his musical powers as well. And and um, you know to see that example night after night after night. Um, speaks volumes for for how you then go forward with your career from then on yeah it was it was like living a dream it really was yeah yeah and now what's interesting to me too with philadelphia is i mean obviously you were there until like your mid-30s or so some somewhere around there Mm -hmm. what was was there something about that city that um you know, obviously it was great for you, but I'm wondering if it also was, there was a certain combination, you know, talking about musical stews, was there something in that city's musical stew that really worked for you? And do you ever have 
obviously it's where you are now is so different just it's not like being in a city like that uh but just from a musical standpoint what was it like growing up in philadelphia uh well yeah philly was definitely a musical very musical town and you know i've stated before that uh i didn't realize uh to what extent back then you know coming up but uh you know afterwards and after living different areas and and just seeing who all of the music and musicians that have come out of there, um, you know, there's there's just something in the air, something in the vibe, something in the the neighborhoods, you know, as you ride around them that sort of you know breathes life into a person's musicality. I think, and uh, I think that just stayed with us and and still comes out today, you know. Yeah, oh, those those roots, they're, they're never very far from the surface, I don't think, especially growing up like you did, playing so much and, and so young. It, that's, that's what's always at the root of it, I think, you know, and, and my daughter lives in Philadelphia now, and so we, we, we're getting up there a lot more often, even, even though it's only a couple hours from Baltimore, you know, we, we would, I would play there once or twice a year, okay. uh, a little more when the station was, you know, was going on, but my, my daughter's there, we get up there quite a bit. Wow, and it's cool. a really, it's, Philly, huh? yeah, it's a really vibrant city. So anyway, I yeah, talk, talking about Philadelphia, um, you know, I mentioned my daughter lives there now and we're getting up there a lot more often and what a, what a vibrant city it is, but also just, you know, musically, uh, I've been amazed at how much stuff is going on and we're up there on the weekends, but jazz clubs with, with, you know, uh, live music, uh, restaurants that focus on having jazz every night, uh, and just, and all kinds of music and comedy and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a really, uh, the city's doing really well right now, I think. And it may not have always been the case. I'm not sure what it was like, you know, when you were living there maybe 20 years ago, but it, it feels really good now. Yeah, it's it's funny that, um, you know, I'm glad to hear that Philly is still keeping up with that, that vibe of having, you know, so many venues that musicians can to display their, their talent. I mean, you know, you got everything from like poetry and, you know, uh, like you said, comedy to, to Neil Soul, you know, um, to straight ahead and, you know, to, to contemporary jazz as well. Um, you know, that that was a very big thing, a very big part of uh, our upbringing in in philly in music um straight ahead so uh i don't know if uh, how many people are aware of that but you know we were definitely deep deeply rooted in that you know? oh and, yeah and um, i i mean one of my favorite guitarists from when you know be, i i always grew up with all kinds of groove oriented music but when i got into jazz in my late teens and early 20s it was all about the straight ahead stuff and yeah. one of my favorite players probably cuz he bridged that gap was pat martino who still lives in philadelphia from what i understand uh and uh you know i remember one time being there and literally he walked by us on the street which was like oh my god pat martino pat martino yeah <laughs> you know everybody know, else right? who lived there probably were like eh, whatever you know but um, they're just like hey, it's it, pat yeah yeah there's a yeah i but to me it was like you know it, it could have been any i mean it could have been jimmy hendrix who walked by it could have been somebody uh, just uh, you know, phenomenally high up in the 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 the, the chain at, at at that point in my development. Well, I, I, I you've been so gracious to talk for so long and about so many different things. But I actually wanted to ask you one more thing. Absolutely. Uh, before I, I'm I'm very 
curious because I just happened to read something. I'm not sure where that you were that you were quite a cook, and I, and and I, I I'm not quite a cook, but that doesn't stop me from trying, especially <laughs> baking. And I'm I'm just wondering what kind of things what kind of things you make. What what some of the the, the favorite things you like to cook are? Wow. Okay. Um. Let's see. Some of my favorite things are uh, red and salmon. Uh, yeah, the sautéed in like olive oil and, and butter, and uh, and then I'll make maybe some uh, uh, what I call drunken cheesy rice. You know, <laughs> tell me about that. Well, I may take like maybe you know just some boxed rice, maybe zatarans and or, or you know like one of Uncle Ben's, just kind of rice peel off. And uh, instead of using all water, I'll use maybe half water and half uh, white wine. Mm-hmm. To, to cook it in, you know, ah, yeah. the, the cooking liquid. And then uh, when it's like halfway done, I'll put some freshly grated Parmesan in there. So mm. it's like, eh, one thing you don't really see too much, like cheese in rice, you know. Right, so I like right. doing different well, things and, like that. And, and A little and bit I'll, of an Italian cooking touch in that dish yeah, too, I think. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'll make uh, like uh, ribeyes, uh, blackened ribeyes with, you know, cast iron that have been marinated in like homemade garlic oil and uh, yeah, things like that. And yeah, uh, yeah. Do you do some baking sometimes too? Not a lot of baking. No, yeah. no. Yeah. Yeah. That's almost like science in a way. I, I make yeah. a really good banana cream pie that I basically stole the Emerald's recipe, but, oh, okay. but, uh, but man, when you're making the custard, it's really you I feel like I'm back in lab at you know in eighth grade in science class because it's it, it literally changes you know from from a very liquid thing to a pudding type you know over the course of four minutes very quickly and that's something uh, yeah and, yeah and so it's you know but uh, and baking it's a that's, yeah you have to be really precise with that you know you can't, yeah, can't well, mess around you, mm-hmm. you, you can imagine how many I ruined be, you know before I got it down but, <laughs> but yeah that's right it's it's it it, it and that now I think it's why I hold on to that particular one, that yeah, particular banana. Cream I think that's a that's a sub art in within itself, just <laughs> it baking. You but know, it, it's not cooking. a surprise to me that a great musician like yourself would be into cooking. That I see that a lot. Do uh, you? And and so, sometimes it's you know it's it's musicians with a with an Italian a grandmother or you know a grandfather. So, you know they, they they because they they just grew up with it happening. But I I see it across the board. You know, uh, great musicians just I think because there's an element of improvising in it and freedom in it within yes. the structure of uh, of of a recipe you know I but think i'm that's sure the things it is as well yeah yeah the things you're describing sound like things that you came up with you know um they they weren't things you found on a, you googled and found on the internet they're things no. over time you came up with and adjusted it to make it your own yeah that's really what i do is like i'll take things that exist and put my own twist on it like maybe some you know jiffy you know corn mix and uh you know i'll I'll make the corn muffins but in the batter i'll put uh you know like half a stick of melted butter a little sugar some uh apricot jam and some chopped jalapenos you know (laughs) and habaneros you know (laughs) did oh wow that sounds great did either of your parents like to cook i mean where is that where you got some of that from well no where i really got well you know both my parents cooked you know hey we ate but i mean um 
Uh, no, it wasn't. I think where I got it from, I used to watch uh, the Galloping Gourmet and Julia Child mm-hmm. back then. Mm-hmm. You know, oh. that was, <laughs> again, you picked these real. It's great. You know, these very different <laughs> kinds of influences. Yeah, you know, Graham <laughs> Kerr and, and Julia Child, you know, the French chef. And, and I would watch those shows and then go in there and tear up the kitchen. And, you know, my, my mom would let me, you know, I would go in there and yeah, try and yeah, make yeah. what good, I saw good on TV. Good for her. You know, I guess it was really similar to like hearing a record and then go and try and play it, you know, what I heard on the record. Yeah. So I would see this on TV and I would go in there and mom would just let me go ahead and do it. And sometimes it, you know, it even uh, it got to the point where things were edible, you know. Right. And right. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I grew up with that. And then, you know, uh, later in life, uh, the Food Network started. I, I remember mm-hmm. when that was just a pilot thing, you know. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, when it wasn't even a show, you know. And um, and then I would watch things on there. And, and then I would take maybe some of their ideas. And then I'd say, hey, maybe I could try doing it like this instead of that. And then, and learn different techniques and different methods and and uh, ingredients and and then just start doing all kind of stuff, you know, like a yeah, make yeah. a chicken breast with like a roux, and uh, then I make this bourbon mushroom cream sauce, and you know, you know, just yeah, crazy pulling stuff. Pulling in the pulling in the New Orleans. Do you, do you get down there to play very often? Not not very often, but uh, we yeah. have a, a few times. And yes, I lo- definitely love the food down in New Orleans. Oh, I mean, I know it's incredible, and and, and, just and the, Texas as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Food. I know yeah. it's funny because um, I, I I never really thought much about that until I was down there for for like a week of shows a couple of years ago, and and I just really got into the the different kind of food that they have and the, the different approach to making some of the things that I already thought I knew. Now speaking of 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 traveling, uh, when it, what it, when are your next few shows? I just want to let the listeners to the podcast know where they can see you next, e- either on with your own band or with Pieces of a Dream. Okay, let's see. Um, oh, I'm getting ready to do a show here August eighth, uh, the mm-hmm. Youngstown Music Fest, and mm-hmm. oh, um, that's big, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be headlining that on on saturday and that's and your own gig that's the, yes the, that would be um, yeah, with james right. lloyd um mm-hmm. and uh then i have the gig uh the next day in paramus new jersey with pieces mm. mm-hmm. and uh let's see what do we have coming up uh um omaha nebraska and um um florida and uh, a couple other things with pieces, and then uh, working right. on another date in uh, oh, in DC at this place called uh, Amp. Amp, yeah, I'm not familiar, familiar with it, it, but I'll check it okay. out. Okay, yeah, the Strath Strathmore. Oh, Strathmore, sure, sure, okay. sure. I used to literally live across the street from the Strathmore when it was a, a private uh, Catholic girls' school. I think. Oh my goodness! Uh, oh okay. yeah, I know that. It's a beautiful. You'll like that. It's it's not really D.C. It's it's outside of D.C. But okay, it's not very far outside, like up two miles. But you know, it's a beautiful place, wonderful place to play, and and uh, you know, you're gonna you're gonna enjoy that. I think quite a bit. Okay, yeah. So I'll be there um, September. 18th and 19th, Friday and Saturday. Ah, and is that again the James that, Lloyd yes, band? Yes, and that's with Jam, yeah. James mm-hmm. Lloyd band. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so yeah, I'm working on you know. Oh, you're more. doing a lot of stuff. That's great. It's great to see you out behind the new album too. And I take it if people want to go to your website, can they or would they go to Pieces of a Dream? Do you have a dedicated no, website? No, no. They would go to jamesloydmusic.com. Oh, okay, great. I'm mm-hmm. glad I asked. I figured that that was the case, but. Um, yeah, I'm yeah, sure it's good to yeah. ask. Yeah, so anyway, right? They'd, mm-hmm. they'd, they'd go there and they can, and any dates that you've mentioned today, and plus anything else that comes up, they can find them there. Yes, they can find out. And also, they could follow me on, uh, you know, Instagram and Twitter, uh, James Lloyd Music, M U Z I K. And M-U-Z-I-K. Uh, and I, okay. Is is that how it's spelled on the website, too? No, the James, website is just is regular. M U S I C. M U S I C. Mm hmm. Great. Well, that's great. I'll put those links up, too. Oh, thank you so uh, much. So make it, make it easy for, for folks. Well, thanks again, James. This was great. I, I, I hope I didn't pepper you with too many detailed questions, especially some of the technical stuff. But I got to ask what I'm interested in, too. Uh, and uh, and I no, think, I love you know, it, man. This is this has been awesome. You know, it's it's always great being interviewed by a fellow musician. You know, exactly. What I mean? And so. to me, I I really the idea of two musicians having a conversation, not just about music, but obviously with a lot lot about music, is, is something I don't hear too often, uh, especially in the jazz world. And it's a it's a it's a different approach, I hope. And you know, for me to get to talk to you this way is wonderful because there's so many things I'm truly interested in to find out. And uh, and so I hope it was fun for you too. I, or, it is. Did, did, it is. Did we cover everything you wanted to talk about? Um, yeah, I believe so. You know, um, I guess. But, but, hey, go buy the CD. <laughs> um, uh, it's called Here We Go, and uh, it's my first on on Shanaki Records. And uh, um, also have. Uh, very special guests um uh Gerald Albright on one song and and Najee on another song and uh and um got Kevin Ricard uh, the American Idol percussionist doing a couple of things and um also uh, uh some other local talent uh Rob Pickard uh who did a lot of the co-writing with me on on the project and um uh, Nathan Mitchell, who co-wrote the single uh, "Play It Forward," and also Marcellus Hayes, who co-wrote one of the songs, and and then there's one song that uh, that I did not write or co-write, and that was written by Cherie Mitchell, uh, f- who was uh, played keyboards for "Pieces of a Dream" some time ago for quite a while, and uh, from the D.C. area. I'm sure you're familiar with her and uh, Belladonna and her group, and. Um, and her work with, playing with Chuck Brown for for a lot and oh uh, yeah, yeah yeah I think that's where I know her name from from working with Chuck Brown who's like mm-hmm. a who, who's just an icon in, in the DC area yeah so uh, you know she there's one song that uh, she had that was a vocal originally and I just mm-hmm. loved it and you know I asked her if I could have it <laughs> and she said yes yeah so that <laughs> was, yeah it was a song that had been around for a while uh, yeah 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 that, and, that was from and, and way it, back mm-hmm. Right, and, yeah, but you um, gave it a whole nother t- turn. Yeah, yeah, I tried, you know, put the the James Lloyd thing on it, uh, as I call mm-hmm. it, and uh, yeah, it's available on on iTunes, and if you want f- actual physical copy, you can get that at uh, uh, Amazon dot com. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes, it's Amazon still sells a fair amount of CDs. It's surprising, but it, um, thank goodness uh, that there's still an audience form. To me, that's how it sounds in our studios. Uh, mm-hmm. MP3s are amazing, uh, but it's always nice to know that people are hearing it exactly the way that we heard it too. 
exactly. which I think you, you only get from the CD. Well, that's great. Well, we'll you know, people need to check out the album. It's easy to find. There's some great videos, uh, and it's it's easy to hear because it's all over the radio, and it's very easy to find, like you said, CDs at Amazon, downloads at iTunes, and many other places, and, you know, continued success with it. I know I know it's going to push uh, you th- right through the year and, and, uh, and have a great success writing the music for what's going to be the 40th anniversary record for Pieces of a Dream. That's a, that's a very special one. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ken. I really appreciate well, we'll, you, my brother. Uh, my pleasure, James. Well, we'll talk again, I'm sure. Thanks again. Awesome. And that was my conversation with James Lloyd, uh, an amazing musician, but also just extremely articulate and very smart about how he goes about doing what he does and, and able to explain it. Uh, really good to talk with him. Uh, he's always been one of my favorite musicians, certainly as a player. Uh, I remember a gig I did with him and Jeff Lorber, both on the same gig with me playing uh, with Alexander Zonchik, the great flautist out of uh, Detroit. We were all there because we were playing a party uh, a release party for Alexander's last record. All three of us wrote on it and played on it. And hearing two absolute keyboard masters, Jeff Lorber and James Lloyd, up on the same stage was just such a treat. But you know, it was also a special treat to get to talk to somebody like James and uh, just such a good guy. Well, anyway, the new album, Unbreakable Heart, it releases August 21st. I think the next podcast I'm going to do in a few weeks will be a preview of all the music, so stay tuned for that. Even though the album comes out everywhere August 21st, you can get it exclusively right now at my website where I'll sign a CD for you too. Downloads are also exclusively available there right now as well. So go ahead and visit my website, kennavarro.com pick up a CD signed by me. Uh, And in the meantime, if you want to wait till August 21st, it's available everywhere then as, as well, all the usual places. Thanks again to my guest, James Lloyd, for being with me today and being such a great guest. And I'll see you the next time. Bye bye.